Paranormal Investigations Hawaii from the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator, Season 1, Episode 4, The Ghost Dog of the Contessa, Part 1. Someone explain to me why it's okay for middle-aged women to pay large sums of money to watch young Asian boys sing and dance, but when I come home broke from a night at the hostess spa, I get funny looks? What the heck am I talking about, you might be asking. Well, this question came up recently when my friend Mahalani asked me to dog sit for her this weekend. She got tickets for that Korean boy band, uh, BVD, no, BTS, concert in LA, and needed someone to watch her chihuahua, who she named Ferrari. She's 52 years old, uh, my friend, not the dog, and enjoys watching 19-year-old boys singing and dancing and gyrating, but I get grief when I contribute nightly to the welfare of single mothers working at the hostess spas. Anyways, end of rant. Ferrari was a male dog, but was one of those breeds that for some reason only women own. You know, like Apuro, Chihuahua, Lhasa Apso, etc. She treated him like a baby and carried him around everywhere in a stroller. One day, I'm gonna grab my hair by the collar and say, It's a freaking dog, not a baby! It'll eat your face off if you die in your apartment and no one finds you for days. Anyways, end of rant number two. Since I owed my hair many favors, some of which involved borrowing large amounts of cash, and despite being a cougar, she was a cool wahine, I agreed to watch Ferrari. Besides, it had been a slow week. The only case I had was a man who thought his Mercedes was haunted after watching the movie Christine. Just because it made strange noises and frequently died on him didn't mean the car was haunted. It just meant he should have bought a Toyota instead. I packed a weekend bag and drove over to Mahia's condo. She lived at the Contessa in the Mo'ili'ili neighborhood of Honolulu. That was another reason I took the gig. The Contessa had a reputation of being haunted, and even though I'd never experienced any paranormal activity on my previous visits there, I still felt some weird vibes around the building, what we in the ghost business call the heebie-jeebies. That's one scientific term. Based on my past experiences, especially on the case that caused me to leave HPD, I needed to gather as much intel as I could about these entities. It could mean the difference between life and eternal damnation one of these days. I felt the heebie-jeebies again as I entered the building. It felt as if someone were watching me. I kept reflexively looking over my shoulder several times just to be sure no one was there. I shook this feeling off and entered the elevator. Mahia left for the airport an hour ago, so the condo should be empty except for Ferrari. I exited the elevator and let myself into her apartment to be greeted by Ferrari furiously barking his head off at me. Well, not so much barking, but 
you know, more of an annoying yapping sound that chihuahuas made. Don't get me wrong, I love animals and so wanted to get along with Ferrari. But sometimes that yippy yapping can get on your nerves. I brought some dog treats to bribe him, which seemed to work for as long as it took for him to eat it. Then he started with another round of yapping. Time to grab an ice cold Heine from the fridge and let him tire himself out. Good thing my hair had all the streaming channels. I tuned into HBO and started to rewatch the last season of Game of Thrones. I found that the more alcohol I had in me, the more I enjoyed this season. So I kept up the enjoyment until I passed out on the sofa. When I woke up, it was 2 a.m. and Ferrari had climbed up on the sofa to sleep next to me. I knew he'd come around. I didn't want to wake him up, but I had to go shishi badly. I scooted over to avoid waking him and stumbled in the dark to the lua. You know the phrase, pee like a racehorse? Did someone actually measure how much a racehorse pees and determine they peed more than regular horses? Anyways, I finished my business and headed down a short hallway to the guest bedroom to sleep off the rest of the night. I left the lights off since I knew this hallway pretty well. I was halfway there and could just see inside the bedroom door when I saw a pair of red eyes looking right back at me out of the darkened room. I froze in my tracks. The eyes were about waist high and stared up at me and then, to my horror, they started moving towards me. I backed away quickly as whatever it was closed the distance and followed me all the way back to the living room. The eyes, along with the body it belonged to, stepped out of the shadows into the dimly lit living room, revealing a large black dog. It looked like a Doberman Pinscher, also known as a devil dog. It glared at me and bared its fangs as it drew its saliva onto the carpet below. Come on, Ferrari, aren't you going to do something? I spoke absolutely to the Chihuahua while I thought of an escape plan. Ferrari, however, didn't seem phased by the big black dog. He continued to doze on the couch. The Doberman opened its jaws again. I looked around quickly for a weapon to use in anticipation of being eaten alive when, to my surprise, instead of opening its mouth to start chomping on my bones... The doorwoman yawned, then sauntered slowly to the sofa, clambered on, and fell asleep next to Ferrari. Holy mother of Moses, I exclaimed out loud. The doorwoman quickly fell asleep and started snoring. Dumbfounded, I sat down on the armchair across from the sofa and stared at the dogs. They were both sleeping peacefully next to each other, like they had been friends forever. I'm going to give my hair an earful when she returns for not telling me she got another dog. If I'd known, I would have asked for something more in payment instead of just leaving some of her Ono oxtail soup in the fridge. Oh well, nothing more to do here. I went back to the guest room, flipped on the light for a moment to make sure there weren't any other surprises, and promptly passed out until morning. I woke up the next morning to the sound of a yapping, hungry Ferrari. I looked at my phone, which indicated it was 11 a.m. already. 
My head kept ringing like it was on church bell on Easter Sunday morning. I got up, went to the kitchen, and looked around for dog food. I found one medium-sized bag only. I hope both dogs ate the same food. I put out a scoop into the one dog bowl that was nearby. Uh, I guess they shared the same bowl. Wasn't that unsanitary or something? I guess if a regular part of your leisure activity was sniffing butts, then sanitariness wasn't a big concern anyways. Hey, leave some for Dobby the Doberman, I told Ferrari as he snarfed up the food immediately. I didn't know what the Doberman's name was, but if I had a Doberman, I'd name him Dobby. Dobby, time for breakfast, I called out to the Doberman. No response. I would have expected Dobby to be hungry too. I went to the living room to look for him, but he wasn't there. I searched the rest of the apartment, but he was nowhere to be found. Now I started to panic. How could I lose a hundred pound dog in a two bedroom apartment? I searched again, looked under the beds, looked in the closet, the bathroom, nothing. The only place I hadn't checked was the balcony. Damn it, did he get out there and fall over the side? It was a 20-story drop. If he fell over there, there wouldn't be much left of him other than a mark on the concrete parking lot below. I was relieved to find that at least the balcony door was locked and closed. I opened it anyways to be sure, and he was not on the balcony. I held my breath and looked over the side, dreading what I might see. There was nothing on the ground in the parking lot below the balcony. That was a relief. Now, I still gotta figure out where the dog went and how I would find the bugger. What if it got outside the front door somehow? There wasn't a doggy door in the apartment though, so I checked outside the hallway just to be sure. Maybe it got out and one of the neighbors found him? I went into the hallway and looked at all the common areas, the trash chute, the laundry room, the fire escape, nothing. I went to the closest next door neighbor and rang the bell. A young boy of around eight years old opened the door. Trick or treat, I said jokingly. It was late November. I ate all the candy already, but you can have my uh, oatmeal. It's yucky. A few seconds later, a person who I assumed to be his mother appeared behind him. She was about mid-thirties. She was a bit disheveled as if she just woke up. She was pretty, even without makeup. Dark brown hair, brown eyes, medium height and weight. She had what looked like a few bruises on her upper arm. As a former police officer, you notice these things. She saw that I was looking at her bruises. She covered it up with her hand and quickly said, Uncle, we know like anything you're selling. We already go to church and we don't need another copy of the Watchtower. She gave me a stern look as if I were wasting her time. Oh no, I'm not selling nothing. I'm watching my hair's dogs next door. She visibly softened at the mention of my hair. Oh, sorry about that, Uncle. I thought you was another salesperson at my door. They keep getting past the security and slipping into the building. What you need? I had resigned myself a little while ago to the fact that I had transitioned from brother to uncle, which was what younger folks called older males who may or may not be related to them. That, 
along with auntie, cuz, bra, brother, and sister, are local terms used to address strangers in a respectful way. But if you were called uncle or auntie, that meant you owed. Uh, Nori, sis, I replied. My name is Harry. I'm a friend of Mahers. I'm watching her two dogs and I'm missing one of them. Have you seen a big Doberman dog running around the building this morning? For some reason, she started laughing. <laughs> I appreciated people laughing at my jokes when I made them, but I didn't say anything funny yet. At least not intentionally. Oh, sorry, Uncle. Uh, please call me Harry. And you are? My name is Jesse, Uncle. I mean, Harry. And this little Kolohe is Brandon. She pointed to her son, who smiled and gave me a big shaka sign. She then giggled again. <laughs> I'm laughing because my hair only has one dog, not two. You just met the ghost dog of the Contessa. What? No ways. I've met plenty of ghosts. I think I would have recognized a ghost dog from a real dog. Well, from your breath, I think you were drinking last night, right? That could have impaired your judgment. Well, that could be true. I only saw Dabi in the middle of the night when I woke up to Shishi after downing a six ahini. Dabi? That's my nickname for the Doberman. Oh, okay. The ghost dog has been seen in the building for years. He's mostly harmless if you don't approach him. He appears some nights and just wanders in and out of apartments. I wonder if he wants something, but no one has ever found out what he's looking for. Does anyone know when this started? The rumor is that someone killed himself decades ago in the very apartment Mahia lives in. This person wasn't found for weeks, and the dog belonged to him. The dog died of starvation. Poor thing. That's why it looks so skinny. I thought dogs would rather eat their owners than die of starvation. This dog must have been a very loyal and loving dog. That's why it didn't eat its owner. Do you know about when this was supposed to have happened? There must be news archives on this. It was a long, long time ago, around the 70s or 80s. That was just yesterday for me, sister. I felt old all of a sudden. Besides, the best music came out of that era. No ways, Unc. Uh, Harry, I mean, they didn't have Cardi B, Megan the Stallion, or Dua Lipa back then. I think you just made my point for me. I said and laughed. Jesse started giggling along <laughs> with me. Well, thanks for your help. I have somewhere to get started on at least. You and Brandon have a good day now. I'll be staying one more night at my hair's. If you see Darby, please give me a holla. We'll do aloha, Uncle uh, Harry. I waved goodbye and went back into my hair's apartment. I doubted Darby would show up during the day. I hoped he would show up tonight, though. The souls of former living beings lingered in the mortal plane if something important remained unresolved when they died. I couldn't imagine what would keep a dog from doggy heaven, but I intended to find out and give this poor pooch release to rest in peace. First thing on the agenda was to search the HPD database and find any information I could dig up on the former occupant of my hair's apartment at the Contessa and that would require obtaining a payoff for HPD desk sergeant James Saito. I got dressed, walked Ferrari around the block to do his business, then headed out to get the bribe. I rode up to HPD front desk with bribe in hand. This time, it was an extra-large ahi pokeball from Tamura's. 
I couldn't resist the fresh ahi and grabbed the large bowl for myself and scarfed it down in the car. It was all no delicious. Jimmy, I called out to Sergeant Sector. He and I went back a long way from when we attended the police academy together. Our paths diverged when I quit the force after investigating a cover-up involving a missing child. My first encounter with the supernatural forces, which led me to becoming a paranormal investigator. He assisted me from time to time with information, even though he was not supposed to. Hey, fucker. The price today is one dozen malasadas. What you got? I do you one better. How about a Pokeball from Tamura's? For that, I'll give you everything, including the keys to the jail. He took the ball from me. You want access to the Iron Beast? The Iron Beast was what we called the police database. It was about 25 years old, ran on an ancient mainframe in one of the back rooms, and needed more cooling than a polar bear in a desert to run properly. And still, it crashed regularly. It required a technician on call 24-7 to service the damn thing when it went down. I'm not here for your good looks, Jimmy. Is the Iron Beast down? He was just brought back up. You better hurry before he goes down again. Mahalo, brother, I replied and hurried into the computer room. I estimated I had maybe 10 minutes until it crashed again. I quickly turned on the terminal and entered my hair's address to search, and the system came up with a few dozen entries. It turned out there were a lot of calls over the years regarding mysterious sightings, apparitions, and a few vicious stray dog reports. Those must be Dobby sightings. I looked back at entries from the late 70s to the mid-80s and thought I found what I was looking for. An entry dated May 26, 1980, reported that a call came in around 12.36 p.m. regarding a missing person. A woman named Sharon Thomas called to report that her boyfriend, Edward Akau, was missing. She had not heard from him for two weeks. A search of his apartment in the Contessa, the very apartment Mahia currently lived in, found no sign of Akau. Nothing was missing, which ruled out burglary. The case was never solved. Ed Akau was never found. I searched for any other reference to a cow when the database crashed again at exactly 10 minutes. You could set time by the frequency of the crashes. Well, at least I got a name to go on. That name sounded familiar too, but I just couldn't place it. I returned to the front desk. Hey, Jimmy, does the name Eda Cow sound familiar to you? Sergeant Saito was a few years older than me. I hope he had a better memory of the 80s than I did. That decade was a haze of alcohol, pakalolo, and bad hair for me. Yeah, I was a patrolman at the time and helped with the initial investigation. He was in the band Makalapa in the 70s. I saw them several times at Waikiki Shell, along with, you know, all the popular local bands at that time. They had that one big hit album that came out in, I think, 1979 called Kalakawa Avenue Blues. Then they broke up when a cow went missing. They were on the cusp of becoming huge too. A shame. How come you ask? I'm looking into a cow's disappearance as a, uh, a favor for a friend. I fibbed. Were there any other solid leads to his disappearance? 
not that I know of. He seemed to just vanish into thin air. There were some crazy rumors, though. What kind of rumors? Well, the detective who was assigned, his name was John Braden. He interviewed all the parties of interest in the case and had no official leads, but unofficially, he came up with a wild and crazy theory, which is right up your alley. What's the theory? He mentioned this only to a few of us after hours, so we wouldn't think he was Lolo. He was a little drunk too at the time. He said that he thought a cow sold his soul to the devil for his musical success. You know, like that blues band, Robert Johnson? And then the devil came for payback and took a cow's soul. That's why a cow disappeared without a trace. I mean, think about it. A cow seemed to come out of nowhere, didn't pay his dues from gigging dive bars on Hotel Street. He released a full album of hit songs, won the Best Album and Best New Artist Hoku Awards for 1979, then he just disappeared. Oh yeah, the Robert Johnson trick. I remember watching that movie with the Karate Kid guy, uh, Ralph Macho, where he sold his soul to the devil to play guitar. Anyway... It's actually not such a wild theory. I bet half the actors and musicians have done the same thing. I mean, how else do you explain Nickelback? You got a point there. Well, thanks, brother. That gives me a lead to go on at least. I was about to leave when Jimmy stopped me. There was one more thing Braden said that stuck with me. There was a symbol found at the scene. He said it looked like the head of a goat drawn in blood. I don't know if that will help, but... He thought this was too weird, so he didn't include it in his report. Mahalo. That could actually be a big clue. We shook hands and I left HPD headquarters. I didn't want to tell Jimmy that symbol was more than familiar to me. It was the symbol of Azazel, a demon who was frequently mistaken for the Christian devil and who I had encountered before to my detriment. I dreaded having to face him again. With Azazel involved, I needed some guidance on how to proceed, which meant a visit to Professor Robert K. Ahuna, otherwise known to the Hawaiian paranormal community as Kahuna Bob. He was not a real Kahuna, but he's had that nickname his whole life, for obvious reasons. Bob taught Hawaiian history and culture at Honolulu Community College. He was also an expert on folklore, superstition, and things that go bump in the night. I consulted frequently with Bob on several of my past investigations, including our last encounter with Azazel. Makahuna, today's your lucky day. And why is that? I popped into his office unannounced, which annoyed him to no end. He was packing up for the day and just about ready to walk out the door. I blocked the door so he couldn't leave. Because... I'm about to give you an opportunity of a lifetime. A chance to help out your fellow man, namely me. And in doing so, you will help yourself become a better person, become more handsome and more attractive to women, men and animals, etc. Let me guess. You're stuck on a case that involves a powerful, dangerous entity and need my help and my expertise and my knowledge to save your okole. Again, am I right? Bob looked at me with one raised eyebrow. 
I don't know how he did that so effortlessly. It was like he constantly practiced raising his eyebrows so much it remained stuck in that position. Close. I do need your knowledge and expertise, but not to save my okole, but to save a dog's okole. Now why would I want to save a dog's butt? Because otherwise, the butt in question is going to belong to Azazel. That stopped Bob in his tracks. Come on, fill me in while you buy me a nice Coke and hot dog at Costco. We walked across the campus and headed to the Costco food court, grabbed a pair of hot dog and Diet Coke, and sat down to eat while I filled Bob in on the Akau case and my encounter with the ghost dog. I bet you dollars to Malasara's a cow is still alive. What the F and F? How did you get that out of what I just told you? Well, first of all, if Azazel took a cow's soul, the Doberman would still be alive. Uh, so it would be a 50-year-old dog? You know what I mean. If Azazel took a cow's soul at the time, he would have either just ignored the dog and left it alone, or killed the dog and taken its soul too. Dogs have souls? Of course. If you've ever had to have your dog euthanized and looked into its eyes when it closed for the last time, you would know they have souls. I'd never owned a dog, but this resonated with me. I imagine many animals who were intelligent and had free will also had souls. So you saying that Azazel took the dog's life but not his soul as either a trap or punishment for a cow? Precisely, Bob said with the smuggiest expression I've ever seen. So you saying that Azazel had the forethought to lay a trap so that 50 years later someone would encounter the ghost Doberman dog which would lead them to find a cow was alive and had been hiding all those years? Exactly, Bob said with increasing smugness. He was off the charts with more smug than has ever been experienced. And that someone, namely us, will lead Azazel to a cow. That's a bingo. Bob hit maximum smugnitude. So, Azazel sat in wait for 50 years to catch one soul. What you must remember is that Azazel is immortal, so time has no meaning for him. But every soul counts towards or against his ability to remain in power over his minions and over his fellow demons who are chomping at the bit to weaken him and strengthen their own positions in the hierarchy of hell. Ah, okay, makes sense now. I gotta admit, Bob knew his demonology. So Bob, how do we find a cow? I have a feeling he's been hiding under everyone's noses. You know the saying, hide in plain sight. That's precisely what he's been doing to stay hidden. But he still needs money to live. We should start by looking into his family and financial accounts before his disappearance. We might find a clue that will lead us right to him. That's a plan. Let me see what I can find out. I'll call you when I have something. I'll finish my hot dog and get up to leave. Follow the money.
I returned to Maher's apartment to walk and feed Ferrari. He'd been stuck inside all day and was ecstatic to get outdoors. We returned after dark and found Darby waiting for us in the apartment. Ferrari and Darby seemed to be best friends. They probably greeted each other by uh, sniffing butts. Who knew ghost dogs had smelly butts? I took a closer look at Darby. He looked every bit like a young and healthy Doberman. Except under the bright kitchen light, I could see a bit of haze surrounding him. And if I looked closely, I could almost see through him. But he reacted to me just like a normal dog. He knew how to sit, shake hands, and lie down. He even hopped onto the guest bed to sleep with Ferrari and myself. He was a good boy in life and in death. I resolved to give him the rest he deserved. I woke up early the next day to start my research on Akao's family and finances. My experience told me that most fugitives managed to stay hidden with the help from family and friends. Who was helping Akao for the last 50 years? I looked up news stories about his disappearance and one person kept showing up in interviews. Akao's girlfriend at the time, a woman named Sharon Thomas. Tax records showed that she was still alive and living at the same house as she did 50 years ago. In fact, she and Akao were childhood sweethearts and next-door neighbors. It was time to pay her a visit. Sharon Thomas lived in a lower-income neighborhood next to a public housing project that was on the same block. Unemployed youths and adults hung out all day outside these buildings, smoking, playing loud music, and intimidating visitors. I drove past her house in my 2001 Honda Accord, more affectionately known as my Honda Atterd, to make sure I was on the right street. It limped along the street, attracting way too much attention as it trailed smoke behind it. It was a moving junkyard, but I hoped that it didn't die in this neighborhood. It would be turned to scrap metal in minutes by the vultures who lived around here. I found parking on the next street over where it seemed safer to leave my car without coming back to find it missing the catalytic converter. I walked slowly back to Thomas's house. I looked several times at the address I scribbled to make sure the information I found was correct. The house looked brand new. It was commonly known as a monster house and stood out in this neighborhood against the other older crumbling residences. Monster homes were built quickly, cheaply, and shoddily. Sometimes they barely met the building codes. They were almost like mini motels in a residential neighborhood, which caused problems with overcrowding, noise, parking, and safety, and were usually built as investments by foreign interests. They were an annoyance and barely skirted the legalities of housing codes in these neighborhoods, and this monster house was no exception. I estimated there were 10 bedrooms between the two floors. I approached the front door and rang the doorbell. It was one of those web-connected video doorbells. No answer. Someone was probably looking over me. I looked into the camera and gave it my best, non-threatening smile and hoped I didn't look like a scummy sales drone. I rang the bell again and heard movement from inside before the front door opened. There was a screen door separating us. A woman of at least 65 looked out at me from behind the front door. She wore a house dress and had her long white hair in a bun. 
She had a kind but careful expression. Listen, we don't want to give any more interviews. What we're doing is perfectly legal. Uh, uh, Aloha, Tutu. I'm not from the media, if that's what you think. Oh, sorry about that. They've been bothering us this whole week after we moved back into the house. We're just trying to provide for our family, you know? Sometimes, when everything is gone, Ohana is all you have left. Oh, I understand, Tutu. It's a lovely house you have here. I'm looking for Sharon Thomas. My name is Harry Wong, and I'm an investigator. Once I mentioned the word investigator, she shut down immediately. I really don't have any information to give you, I'm afraid. But I haven't asked any questions yet. Are you Sharon Thomas? Yes, but I don't have anything to say to you. Please, auntie. I just need five minutes of your time, then I'll leave. You have four minutes and 55 seconds left. Why don't you come in and sit down? Mahalo. I followed her into the living room and sat down on one of the chairs. For a newly built house, it felt surprisingly warm and lived in. The furnishings weren't new, they reused their old furniture. There was evidence of life all around. Pictures hung on the wall and mantel, plates left on tables, toys left on the floor. Did you know Ed Akau in the 70s? Was he your boyfriend? I got right to the point. Sharon Thomas stared at me as if she'd seen a ghost. I haven't heard that name in decades. I knew him once. A long time ago, he was my childhood sweetheart. We were together until we graduated high school. And then he... Well, if you're asking me about him, then you know he disappeared and was presumed dead, right? I nodded. Then you've come to ask me why I lied to cover for him. I didn't, but this was kind of a bombshell, so I went along with it. You got that right, exactly right, about why I'm, I'm here. I've never told this to anyone before, but it has been bothering me for the last 50 years, and I think it's finally time to let it out before it eats me up. She looked at me. I think there was a reason you came here today to ask me this question when I was ready to answer it truthfully after all these years. She took a deep breath and continued. We were just a few years out of high school. We had been dating since sophomore year, but had known each other most of our lives. We were neighbors, and our parents were good friends. Ed moved out of his parents' place after graduation and into the Contessa, a condo near the university. I planned to move in with him as soon as we got married after he finished school. We wanted to get a head start on a family, so we adopted a pet dog from the Humane Society down the street from the condo. I worked at Zippy's, and Ed went to UH during the day and worked on his music at night. He had always been musically inclined, but he either had bad luck or didn't network with the right people. He struggled for years to get his music out, to find the right audience. Then one day, he came home excited and told me he met some people who liked his music and were influential in the industry. They helped him get a music deal with Passion Orange Records. They signed all the popular local bands at the time. You know, the top contemporary Hawaiian music. There was an explosion of new music in the 70s. Well, you know this, right? You're not that young. They formed a band called Makalapa around his music and recorded the album Kalakaua Avenue Blues in one week. 
then things blew up quickly. The record got airplay on all the local radio stations. Sales went through the roof. Makalapa played shows at the Waikiki Shell and then won the Hoku Award for Best New Artist and Album of the Year. That's when things went south. How so? About a year after the record deal, Ed came over and told me he was in trouble. He owed some powerful people for his success. He didn't mention who or what he owed, but I assumed it was money and that he got an advance from the record company which he had to pay back or something. They were going to come after him to take what he owed them, so he had to disappear for a while until the heat died down. He asked me to be his alibi. He just won the Hoker Award but still didn't have a dime to his name. So Ed went into hiding. He didn't tell me where he went for my own safety. I lied to everyone, the police, my parents, his mother, when asked about his whereabouts. But I was in love, you see. I would have done anything for Ed. I gave him money and supplies, and before he left, I lied and said he disappeared, implied that he was depressed and suicidal. Whoever was after him, I wanted to throw them off his path. I hoped that they would think that he was dead and forget about him. I waited for weeks to hear from him, which turned into months. I took over his lease at the Contessa to take care of his dog, Kalea, and to be close by for when he was ready to return. After half a year passed and there was still no sign of him, I searched for him all over, but he was nowhere to be found. He really did disappear. I kept searching for years until one day I realized that he was either really dead or he didn't want to be found even by me. I stopped looking and moved on with my life. I haven't seen him since the day he left. He was never close with his family. His parents divorced after he graduated high school and his father had been out of the picture for years. His mother just wanted him around for the money that he would have made for them if he hadn't disappeared. Once in a while, I believe he inadvertently left clues that he was alive and still around. I think he wanted to return, but was still afraid of whoever was after him. I swear, I thought I saw him a few times in the first few years when I was out walking Kalea, but if it was him, he ran off as soon as he thought I saw him. Then one day, about a year after he disappeared, I, I, she hesitated and fear showed in her face for the first time. Go on, you're doing great, I encouraged her. A year after Ed disappeared, I received a visit from someone who I assumed was his debtor. I just returned home from working a double shift at Zippy's. I was exhausted and rushed home to walk and feed Kalea. A strange man stood waiting for me at my door when I arrived home. Security should have prevented him from even getting into the apartment complex in the first place, so I was somewhat alarmed to find someone at my door. After all these years, I still remember everything about him. He was tall, at least six foot five or taller. He wore a long, heavy overcoat, even though it was 85 degrees with 60% humidity outside. Dark glasses, even though it was night. Gloves, a scarf, and a short top hat. And he held a cane with a gold handle in the shape of a goat's head. But that wasn't the thing that stood out the most about him. It was his eyes. Even behind the dark glasses, I could see that his eyes glowed a dark red. I froze in my tracks when I saw him at my door. I gathered up the courage to ask him if I could help him. 
He spoke in a deep, guttural tone. His voice was like the sound of a car crusher smashing a car into tiny bits. Ms. Sharon Thomas, if you would be so kind to direct me to where I can find Mr. Edward Akau. I told him truthfully that I hadn't seen Ed in over a year. I don't know if it was my imagination, but his eyes then glowed brighter, and I felt him looking at me, looking into me. What seemed like an eternity at the time, but only a few seconds passed, and he was gone. It was as if I just woke from a bad dream, but usually I forgot those dreams immediately. I will never forget meeting this, this thing. Sharon visibly shivered. I thought that was it. I would just walk and feed Kalea and try to forget what just happened. I was about to stick my keys into open the apartment door when I noticed it was already open. I cautiously entered and found my poor Kalea lying dead on the kitchen floor with blood everywhere. He usually sat next to his food bowl and waited for me to come home from work. I'm sure that day was no different. That, that monster has some sort of act of revenge and cowardice killed my poor innocent dog instead. I screamed until the neighbors came over and called the police. I don't remember much after that. I was told afterwards that I collapsed and passed out me to the emergency room and I stayed overnight. My parents picked me up the next day and brought me back here to their house so they could keep an eye on me. They also arranged to take care of Kalea's body. He was cremated and I still have his ashes with me. I couldn't stay in the apartment anymore and move back in with my parents. I've lived here ever since. I know you probably don't believe me, but that's the God honest truth. I believe you 100%. I investigate these type of incidents for a living, and although it doesn't seem like it now, you were lucky to have escaped with not only your life, but with your soul intact after your encounter. That man you met was not a man, but was a demon, Azazel, one of the most ancient and powerful creatures to ever exist. Unfortunately, he required some kind of blood sacrifice he killed Kalea since he couldn't take Ed's soul, and he kept Kalea's soul as hostage on the earthly plane until he is able to take Ed's soul, per their agreement. That's why Kalea's spirit haunts the Contessa and can't find peace and rest. No! There were rumors that Ed owed someone for his success, but I never imagined the extent of what he sold for it. I mean, how did he think it was worth his soul? I guess when you're young and without much, you think fame and fortune are everything. You don't realize there are things much bigger and much more important than the immediate gratification. My poor boy has been alone all these years. I heard rumors and urban legends about the Contessa being haunted, but I never knew it was about my dog. I tried to comfort her. You didn't know. How could you? But Kalea has not been alone been somewhat adopted by the residents of the Contessa. They treat him as if he were a real live dog. They greet him and he hangs around with all the other pets in the building. Animals are more sensitive to the supernatural than we are. I mean, haven't you ever seen dogs and cats react to something in the house that you can't see? Of course, these could be invisible dead people who are haunting you or aliens, but I like to think they are playing with ghost pets from the past who are still around for whatever reason. 
Sharon smiled at this. Besides, it's not your fault, but I think I can help you now. However, we need to find Ed. Do you have any clues where he might be? I, I don't know. Sharon composed herself. Like I mentioned earlier, I haven't had any contact with him for 50 years. You know him or knew him as best as anyone. Can you think of anything, anyone, anywhere that could keep him hidden for all that time? Sharon thought for a while. I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but his family secretly owns a plot of farmland in Eva. They didn't want to pay taxes on it, so the deed was under a distant uncle's name. They could have sold this land over the years and made a lot of money, but they never sold it. It just remained farmland, even though no one farmed there anymore. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Something very few people would know about it. Something that's not officially recorded and could be found by someone doing an online search. I bet that's how he's kept himself hidden. I can take you there. But is there any way we can help both Kalea and Ed? When you've made a deal with Azazel and signed in blood, the only way out is to have someone else take your place. That's the only way I know how to get out of a deal. Sharon nodded. All right, thank you, Mr. Wong. If you're ready now, I can take you there. Now is as good a time as any. And please, call me Harry. Call me Sharon. Give me a few minutes to get ready and we can go. You're driving, right? Yes, but I can guarantee we won't break down in my hunk of junk. But that's what roadside assistance is for, right? I smiled. Sharon laughed and quickly changed, and we left to find Ed a cow. Holy mother of Moses! It's 45 minutes and we're only halfway done with this episode. So we're going to have to finish up next week in part two. Because it's Pauhana time and time for me to get some ice cold Heine and poke. So come back next week for part two where we find out what happens to the ghost dog of the Contessa. You have been listening to Paranormal Investigations Hawaii from the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator, a fictional podcast podcast. 